I'm going to ask Bridget to join me um, at the front here, and we're going to find out, as I said, a little bit more about Bridget and hear some of her um, thoughts about this passage which we're reading. We're reading First Peter, for those of you who don't know, um, over a series of weeks. We've had some special Sundays in between hand, but we've been looking at the letter of Peter, and largely it's a letter to, well, let's listen to what Bridget and I kind of bring out, but it's to do with identity, as you might have gathered, is some of the theme of the letter. So Bridget, it's great you're with us for a month, um, but um, given that last clip we looked at who you are and we've asked all these questions, um, what can you tell us about, first of all, what have you done, um, something of what you've done? Okay. Um, <clears throat> when I saw that clip just now on the what have you done, I realised I don't think I've spent enough time this is sideways, okay. I don't think I spent enough time sitting around and watching the world go by. I tend to rush about and be, be a big doer. Um, so I think I've probably done too much and I'd like to learn to do less and to be sitting around a bit more. I like that picture of the two guys sitting and watching the world go by. Having said that, what I've done is, um, or what I do now, obviously, is I'm a theology student. So I'm training for um, ordained ministry. I've been doing that for a year. So I do a lot of reading, discussing, thinking, and writing. Um, and what I did until this time last year was I was a physio, um, worked with stroke survivors the first few months when they come home from hospital. Um, and that was very much about my identity. I knew when I was 15 I wanted to be a physio. Um, so that was very, it wasn't just what I did. It was very much about who I am. And I loved Love doing it. Um, I think the other thing I need to say is I do a lot of laundry and a lot of dishes, and I've watched a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine videos because <laughs> okay. I'm a mum. Okay. The second question that we've got in our structure of, of, of who, who makes us who we are is what do we have? What do we own? Um, it's a bit of a cheeky question in some ways, and yet we surround ourselves with things like that. So, Bridget, what do you want to tell us about what you own? Well, I think I own too much as well as doing too much. Um, and I realised, obviously, I own stuff that I kind of gets life by, you know, washing machines and cars and not cars, a car, but you know, stuff. But I thought, what, what's the stuff that I own that really says something about who I am? So the first one is my is my hippos. These are um, Malawian hippos, um, and this is my favourite one. Um, I've just got three, but I they're important for me because I spent most of my childhood in Malawi and so that's my roots really and I think if there was a fire that's what I'd save would be my little hippos um, it, just, just having them brings a lot back a lot of memories and is very important to me about kind of where I'm grounded really where, I'm, where I come from um, have you got the clip? thank you oh um, books this is just one corner of our kitchen um, and uh, being at theological college I now own more books than I did but we do have a lot of books between us and I love books um, yeah I probably own too many books but I do love books um, so this is my holding cross which is somewhere in my bag so you can see the real thing if I can find it um, and this this so this I don't know if any of you some of you will know about these this is um, a holding cross and it's made so you can hold it in the palm of your hand and it's important to me for a couple of reasons really one is um, 
that as a physio, I use my hands very much. And so hands are important to me. And holding the cross really makes me think of actually that Jesus' hands were, you know, were, were, were torn apart on the cross. Um, and secondly, I have a very close friend who was um, very ill in hospital a few years ago and had a holding cross. And she said she just felt too ill even to know what to pray, but she could hold her cross. So for me, in terms of the difficult times of life, actually being able to just hold on to, to Christ really is very, very important. Um, oh, teapots. I do like a good cup of tea, and it should be made in a teapot. <laughs> that's just a small selection. I think this is the final one. Oh, um, yes, that's more necklaces than anybody could wear at one time. So that's one of my little foibles, really, is necklaces. Um, and I realise the final thing, which I've got but haven't got a photograph of, is my diary. I'm not much of a techno geek, so I do have pen and paper diary. And without this, I would not know where I was going and who I was seeing and what I was doing. So I'm, I'm organised, and that's very much part of who I am, to be organised. Bridget, thank you for those insights into what makes up you um, and we're thinking here about identity. Um, if we think about the passage that Matthew read in terms of, could you tell us something about their identity um, and, and what they were like? Just remind us. So these were, this letter was written um, to Christians who are probably Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians um, living in Asia Minor. So that would be Turkey nowadays, essentially. Um, and Peter, so remember Peter was... Simon Peter, Jesus' disciple, who had been very impetuous and very headlong and very excitable. So here we are a few years later, and he's writing to encourage these Christians in Turkey in various churches um, to encourage them in the face of suffering. Um, <clears throat> and I think there were two possible types, there seemed to be, of suffering that they were um, experiencing. One was that Christians at the time obviously were a minority, and Generally, in the Roman Empire, they were at this time considered to be somewhat odd and a bit of a threat. And some people thought some very strange things about them. So some people were very suspicious of Christians being cannibals because of communion. So there were all sorts of suspicions, and they were, they were regarded with suspicion and um, persecuted in that sense. But also, probably, this letter was written by Peter round about the time when Nero's um, persecution started of Christians. So there was actual physical suffering and the danger of real, terrible physical persecutions that they were facing for their, for their faith. So he's writing to encourage them to stay firm and to hold true to what their Christian faith was in, in the face of both of those sorts of persecutions. Um, so can I ask you a question? Um, how do you think, do you think, that we can relate to this today. Are we persecuted, do you think? You can't help but notice when you read what we've read, there's a lot of suffering. The issue is about them facing persecution and suffering. But for us as Christians, the word persecution is such a strong word. I mean, you think of Nero and Christians being put to lions and stuff is what persecution makes me think of. I don't know, but don't know about you. There are 100 million Christians in the world today who face persecution. Um, I think that's the, that is true in the countries of China and Pakistan and in, in Iraq. 
In the UK, I'm not sure if persecution or persecuted is quite the best word that I would use, but I might be, this is, this is my view, because one of the former archbishops, uh, Bishop Carey, um, in a letter to the Telegraph in March of this year, um, he wrote saying that Christians are being persecuted in our secularized country these days. Um, he describes Christians being persecuted and treated with disrespect. He describes the discrimination against churchgoers as unacceptable in a civilized society. This is coming out of, um, remember the dispute that the woman had with wearing a cross and working for British Airways. Um, and it's true in the recent years we've seen a barrage of stories uh, in the press where Christians have been discriminated against by their employees, nurses banned from wearing crosses, doctors sacked for sending email prayers to colleagues, and the BBC no longer uses AD or BC in its um, definition of time. At the same time, I think we have to recognise that we are living in an age that's not Christendom. We've moved on from Christendom and an age of post-Christendom, where the Christian tradition is not the default position for society, but Christians have no longer, are no longer in the majority, but are getting used to being in the minority. And that's not an easy change, I think, for Christians to, to accept. And some of us will have different views about how we're being treated as a group um, to other people. So I think persecution is maybe a bit of a... Um, not the most helpful word for us to think about, I would say, in, in our lives, in our relationship with society today. But I think that we are under pressure to conform to a godless society. That's what I would think, that we're under pressure to conform to a society that has no time, that never stops for God, has no reverence or respect for God. Um, I think also we are in an age of postmodern age where Christian faith can be, people say, oh yeah, that's fine, you're a Christian. That means you do X, Y, Z, and Christianity becomes yet another, simply another thing that you do as you might go to um, a certain supermarket or be a member of a certain club. When we read verse 13, it was interesting of our passage, it said, don't be intimidated by the authorities. That's an interesting word, again, for us when we're thinking about the context in which we're living. Sometimes at work we might feel intimidated to speak out as a Christian, to say something, to ask a question. The word intimidate is a good word for the people in Roman times. What an intimidating empire that was. You think of Roman soldiers, you think of Roman organization, and there was the Roman um, cult of the Caesar. Um, it was fairly intimidating, the Roman way of, of being. So um, I think it was interesting that Christians at that time were made up, as you said, of a mixture of a ragbag bunch of people, of Jews, non-Jews, poor, rich, merchants, women, men, um, that God has brought together. Um, maybe our church is a bit like that. I'd like to think so. I, think, I do believe that God has brought us together. And in our different backgrounds and experiences, God now says to us, you are my people in this place at this time. I also think one of the things about persecution, I think many of our children would say it's not cool to be a Christian these days. And these things are so powerful and fashionable. It's not fashionable to be a Christian these days. I think it's good to say these things in church because then we don't allow the norm to shape us. You know, how do we, how do we live in ways that are deliberate and intentional. I mean, Bridget, you were saying to me the other day, football on a Sunday is becoming yeah. an issue for you. Do you want to say something about that? Uh, 
Yeah, so, so my 11-year-old is really into football, and at the moment his team play all their matches on a Saturday. That's fine. And next year he's likely to be in the league that they play on a Sunday. And so, that, so we have this real issue. Do we, how do we do that? You know, do, do we stay with going to church and he doesn't do his football, which is what he loves and what he's good at? Do we, does one of us opt out and, and go and play football with him? And, and also the kind of issue of do we say to the, the coach, actually we're not doing it because it's on a Sunday. Do we make a stand? Do other people make a stand? It's a real juggling with, with what is the standard of the world and actually what do we do on a Sunday and what do we hold to on a Sunday? And, and he wants to be in church and we want him to grow as a Christian. So there's a real challenge there. And so how do we respond then um, as, as, as families, as, as Christians in this environment? Well, I can't answer the football question because I'm still struggling with that one. Um, I think, I mean, I'm interested that in, in verse 8 we have, uh, at the beginning of the reading, Peter's kind of instruction on, if you like, this is how we behave as Christians. Um, and almost what I would call, I think, is these are the family markers. This is what it's like to be a Christian. And he's saying some hold true to who you really are. Um, I know some people will have been watching Wimbledon and will be very excited about watching the final at Wimbledon this afternoon. Some families... Wimbledon matters, and I don't watch it at all, and it isn't for our family. And, and our family goes to the folk festival every year, and that's kind of what our family do. Now, those aren't moral issues, but that, there's kind of, we all have things that, that we say to our children, well, we do it like this because, well, that's how we do it in our family. Or when you get the old, but everybody else's mum says they can do that. And you say, well, we don't do it like that, or whatever. So we all have family markers that, Doing them doesn't make you part of our family, but being part of our family, this is what we do. And I think that's what, what Peter's mm. saying to the Christians here is not, this is doing these things, having unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, a humble mind, not repaying evil with evil, repaying people with a blessing, actively seeking peace and pursuing it. These are the family markers of being a Christian. Doing these things won't make you a Christian, but if you are a Christian, this is how you behave. And so in that situation of the outside world bombarding you with challenges to behave differently or to deny who you are, Peter's kind of giving them a picture of, remember, this, this is how we do it in our family. This is, this is who we are as Christians. And he appeals to um, their kind of long family history. So... Um, He's quoting from the Psalms. He quotes from Psalm 34 in, in verse 11 and, and on. So he's appealing. They will have heard that echo as they read it and, and, and had it read to them. So he's appealing to their long family history. Remember who you are. Remember where you've come from. Remember what your roots are. We were saying one of the questions you asked us is, um, is money or, or, or where you, kind of how you were brought up, does that make you who you are? And he's saying to them, remember how you were brought up. Remember the family history. And hold true to it. One of the things that I like about this passage, um, Bridget, is the fact that we're in this together. That, that sense of, you know, God has brought us together um, and we're not isolated individuals. Um, watching a clip like that, I, mean, I, I like that clip, which I don't know what your thoughts are, but it leaves it very much saying your identity is as an individual. Um, the Bible uses the word we all the time. 
We together are the people of God. And I think for me that the, the highlight of the whole letter is what we read in First Peter chapter 2. Um, but you are a chosen people. This is the plural. A royal priesthood tapping into their understanding of ways past. A holy nation, God's special possession. That's us together that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That sense of, of Christian community being so important to who we are as individuals. And Ian said last week, as we thought about well-being, it's to our detriment if we think that we manage our health in an isolated one-to-one way, become less as a human being, uh, if we don't allow the recognition of the health of others and our well-being in community to, to be part of how we see life. Mm. Mm. Now, one of the things I think later in the verse, coming to the end, um, I've got a couple of nice little pictures. They're great beads, but um, <laughs> just, just going beyond. This, this classic verse in verse um, 1 Peter 3.15, which says, Give a reason for the hope within you. Actually, again, it's in a time of persecution, so it's be prepared to defend yourself. That's what actually Peter said. Um, interesting to hear from one of the house groups as they're looking at um, uh, talking about their faith and uh, how, how that's done appropriately and relevantly um, when people ask questions or be ready to make the most of every opportunity um, for that. Um, verse 15 says, Sanctify, revere in your heart Christ as Lord. Um, is it up there? Let's give reason to hope. Setting apart Christ as Lord. Um, again, this is the Christian response. In an age where there is pressures against us to conform to the way the world doing things. And in those days, the pressure was to accept Caesar as Lord. And I think we can so easily use the word Lord as Christians as a general title of Christ, rather than realizing how subversive it was to those early Christians. Because the only Lord was Caesar. How dare they say Jesus is Lord? And Lord meaning saying, you have everything in my life. You have first place in my life. Everything I am and have is yours in terms of identity. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives you, ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we're edging towards hope, Bridget. Mm -hmm. What hope do you have um, in your life? I think You're a hopeful person? I, I am a hopeful person, yeah. yeah. Um, I, as a Christian, it has to be founded in, in what verse 18 says. Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. So it's, it's, it's grounded in Christ's death and resurrection. And, and I really like the end of that verse. It says, in order to bring you to God. And for me, that's really important. Having <clears throat> moved around uh, the world a lot as 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 a child and um, my mother's not alive anymore she died when I was 21 and my parents were split up when I was small so my sense of where do I belong and who do I belong to and where do I come from I have never ever known the answer to the question where do you come from at all um, this sense of, of being brought home in Christ is really important to me um, and the story of the prodigal son that, that sense of finding your home back with God is really important so that actually wherever I live and wherever I go my home is in Christ. So that's a hope for now, but it's also a hope for the future. 
So it, it's a now and, and future hope. Um, and I think two other things give me hope that are tied up in that, really. One is that I am beloved, as each one of us is, that God doesn't just kind of tolerate us um, or like us when we're good, but actually that we're deeply beloved, which again gives us a, a hope beyond how we behave and what we manage to do and what we achieve. Um, God just loves us. And I think finally for me, um, tied in with both of those is, is about God being present, that God is always present with us. So when we are intimidated and when we are fearful and when life is demanding of us, actually God is present with us in that. Um, and God has conquered death. So, so God is present and conquering with us, even if it doesn't feel like it. I think that's probably where my, okay. I would say about hope. Okay. I, I was saying to Bridget, I think we're hopeful people in Camborne. What do you think? I think by nature that we have invested in the future, bought into the future quite literally in Camborne. We are people whose outlook is positive. We then have children. That, again, is a huge step of faith in the world in which we live. Um, some, you know, in, in many ways, you look at different factors of, of Camborne, we, we are hopeful people. And then as, but then as Christians, our hope is not in the success of our time in Camborne, or not, however you measure it, but our hope is in Jesus Christ, our living hope. Because I like that it's not a hope that's simply future, it's also present. And therefore we come just now to recognize God's presence with us as we come to celebrate communion. Um, God's living hope in our hearts. Not a speculative thing, but a living hope because of Jesus who has conquered death and risen to the right hand fathers, the right hand side of the Father. And so, yes, we may be, feel at times marginalized or under pressure to conform, but we know we have hope in our hearts and to be true to that hope and true to the words that Jesus speaks to us as we think about who we are and how we're called to live as Christians in our world today. Folks, can I invite you to give a round of applause to Bridget for willing to share that with us?